This is episode number 211 with Denise Duffield-Thomas. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? This episode is brought to you by Uveda. As you guys know, I'm obsessed with Ayurveda and Uveda is an epic, heart-centered, family-owned Ayurvedic company with a larger-than-life vision to create a healthier, happier world using the intelligence of Mother Nature. Now, I truly wish that none of us needed supplements. But in this modern world, with the depletion in our soil and with the full lives we all lead these days, sometimes our bodies need some extra love and support. This is why I love Uveda. They are such high-grade, Ayurvedically developed supplements to support not only your body, but your mind and soul too, helping you rebalance and come back to homeostasis, which is what the body wants. I love their mood supplements and love how they come in individual packs, perfect for someone who travels as much as I do. Now I've teamed up with Uveda to give you, the Epic MA Tribe, 35% off your first order. So all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash Uveda, and that is spelt Y-O-U-V-E-D-A, and you can get your 35% off your first order right now. Denise Duffield-Thomas is the money mindset mentor for the new wave of online female entrepreneurs. Her best-selling books, Lucky Bitch, Get Rich Lucky Bitch, and Chillpreneur give a fresh and funny roadmap to create an outrageously successful life and business. Denise helps women release their fear of money, set premium prices for their services, and take back control over their finances. She is an award-winning speaker, author, and entrepreneur who helps women transform their economy class money mindset into a first class life. And in today's episode, we chat about her story from wanting to be an entrepreneur to becoming the multi-million dollar success she is today, the common money blocks most people have and the tools you need to move through them, the delegation myth and why this is not what you expect, 
how self-sabotage creeps in and stops you from achieving your dreams, how your money blocks are stopping you from having the abundance you desire, the cost to yourself and the planet if you keep ignoring your blocks, how to cultivate the mindset of a six and seven figure business owner, how she earns her money, what is a chillpreneur and how you can become one, how to let go of comparisonitis that plagues so many of us, why you need to choose your mentors and coaches wisely, how to move your mindset from an economy class to a first class mindset, and what that really means in all the different areas of your life, plus so much more. And for everything that Denise and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 211. But before we dive into today's epic conversation, I want to read this five-star review from Chris Tucky, and it's titled Informative, Entertaining, and Thought-Provoking. And he says, Hi Mel, I have spent the last few days listening to your interviews with Cindy O'Meara, David Wolf, and Jim Quick. So much great content and some very thought-provoking information. I'm so glad Sarah has introduced me to your podcast. I will definitely be listening in more often. Great stuff. Regards, Chris Tucky. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm so grateful for that beautiful review. I truly am. And don't forget that if you want to be the review of the week for next week, all you have to do is head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. Thank you in advance. And now let's bring on the incredible Denise Duffield-Thomas. Welcome, Denise. I'm so excited to have you on the show. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) I had porridge for breakfast this morning. That's my winter version of breakfast. Mm, Yum. Yes. Nick loves his oats every morning. Maple syrup, blueberries. So delicious. Now, can you tell us about your story? For people who have never discovered you before, how did you get to where you are today doing the work that you now do? Well, I help people with money, money mindset in particular. And I actually wanted to be an entrepreneur really my whole life. As a kid, I wanted to start businesses. I think the most frustrating time of that for me though was in my 20s because I that's when I started realizing there was this world of entrepreneurship and I was like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to be a millionaire by 30. <laughs> you know, And I was like, oh my gosh, this world of entrepreneurship is just amazing. But I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And I remember being a kid and you know starting different businesses all the time or starting different clubs after reading Babysitter's Club and never figuring out how I could monetize my my gifts. And in my 20s, I did so many random little businesses, but I was also going in and out of corporate life. So I would jump into a job, last about six months. I don't know how long your time frame is for working for other people, but I'd last about six months. And then I thought, okay, I want to start a business. And I would come up with a random idea, like I'm going to be a dating coach. And then I would quit my job, <laughs> try and figure out how I could run a business. And then I'd run out of money and I'd have to go back into a job. And I did this for almost 10 years, incredibly frustrating. 
So uh, what I realized is that I had a lot of stories about money. I had lots of negative thoughts about myself and money and not even just money itself, but numbers. I had to go through and really unravel all of those stories because until I did that, I realized that none of my business ideas would work at all. And also realized that what I was really good at was inspiring and motivating people. But for years, I had told myself that wasn't a real job, you know, it was, and also we didn't, you know, I don't know about you, but I, the worlds that you and I are in now, we see those examples all the time of people who are living on purpose and living their dreams and living in their strengths. And for me, I didn't have any examples of that. So it took me a long time to realize that the world of coaching and helping people transform their lives, first of all, it was a real job. And secondly, it was something I was really good at. And so that's, that's where I started. I suppose what I do now, I started off as a life coach, very generic life coach. Come in, come to me and I'll help you with anything. <laughs> Bring me your problems. And that's what I was like as a kid. That's what I was like as a teenager. That's what I was like in my twenties with all my friends and family. And then I realized I really loved working with people on entrepreneurship, on business. That really made me feel excited. And all of my clients who came to me who were in corporate jobs, I'd try and convince them to quit their job and start a business. <laughs> so I thought, I can't do that anymore. I have to just work with people who actually do want to be in business. And then I realized that a lot of those people had the same problems that I had around money, stories around money, negative beliefs around money. And I decided to go all in in that particular space. And particularly with women, you know, I definitely think that men have money blocks, but I saw... Um, a real opportunity to help women make friends with money. And that's what I do now, three books later. And it's really fun because I love hearing people's stories around money. Mm, okay. So your was Get Rich Lucky Bitch your first book? No. Well, it, I mean, if you're talking about books all up, my very, very first book was um, called Internet Dating Tips for Men. Love it. Not a sexy title. <laughs> I love it. And then I wrote a book called Raw Brides and that was about uh, helping women lose weight for their wedding with raw food. <laughs> and, but no one could understand what I was saying. They would go, Rob Brides? What's, who's Rob Brides? And I'm like, no, <laughs> Raw Brides. And then I wrote a book called How to Create a Green and Ethical Wedding, I think. So I was always writing. You know, writing was always my thing. But my first, I guess, real book was Lucky Bitch in 2011 and that one it's, it's about manifesting. It's gone through many versions since then. Uh, the first version of Get Rich Lucky Bitch came out in 2012. It got reissued last year. And then Chillpreneur came out. So I've, I've written a ton of books. And I don't know about you, but again, that came out really early for me that I wanted to write. My mum saw that I was really interested in typewriters. Whenever we'd go to someone's house or going to an office, I was so excited by typewriters. And she bought me a little electric typewriter when I was nine. And I just loved, yeah, loved writing on it and loved typing on it. And I, I thought that was my, I was going to work in an office because I was like, oh, this is so fancy. I just want to work in an office <laughs> and wear a suit. And then I did in my 20s and I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is not what I wanted to do. No. Well, I love in Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, you talk a lot about releasing your money blocks so that we can call in the abundance that we desire. So Firstly, I want to ask you, what are some common money blocks that people have and how can they move through them? And, and a lot of the times we're probably not even aware of these blocks that we have. 
So what are the common ones and how can we move through them? Sure. So I find that there's some really universal money blocks within entrepreneurs, particularly amongst female entrepreneurs. Um, And the first one is that you have to work really hard to make money. I see this is such an origin story for so many of us. And I, I find that it comes up in different ways depending on where you grew up and how you grew up, which is really fascinating. So if you if you're born in America, for example, America itself has a very strong culture of busyness, workaholism, working really hard to make money. Australia's version of that is a slightly different and it's around fairness and equality, you know, a fair day's work for a fair day's pay kind of thing. And what I find that how that trips us up, it sounds like, oh, that's a really good thing to have a work ethic. The where where it trips us up now, especially if you work online, is that your your soul or your money consciousness, it hasn't caught up with the fact that we live in a digital society now. So you actually might feel really weird and icky and not know why that it's it could feel really good for you to make money. For example, writing an ebook and selling that or creating an online program or just talking to someone on Skype and coaching them and helping them. Those things feel really good on one side and incredibly weird and guilt-inducing on the other side. And it's because of this work hard culture that we've grown up in. Most of us who have grown up, you know, with a kind of analog childhood and a digital adulthood, we don't know how to quite deal with that. Especially if your friends or family members aren't in this online world, you know, most of them have to go and do something physical for their money. So it just hasn't caught up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. So that's a big one that you see? That's the biggest one, I would say, is everyone's flavor is slightly different. And I want everyone listening to think about what your parents said about work and money. They might have said something like, money doesn't grow on trees. Most Mm -hmm. of us heard that one. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, a hard day's work for a hard day's pay or another day, another dollar. Those things are so deeply ingrained in us that we actually resist the ease. We resist the easy path. We also resist what we're here to do, which is so funny. Most of the time our work, our calling is an unraveling, not a discovery because I could motivate and inspire people when I was a kid. That's what I did. But I didn't think that was a job because it felt too easy. It felt too obvious. It felt too enjoyable. And my idea of work was something that you had to go and do that you didn't necessarily like. And then you got a little bit of money for that. So I'm sure most people listening have their own similar stories. What's interesting about that though, is it doesn't matter how much money you grew up with, it can still be a universal money block. So I've Mm. met people who have very wealthy parents who were lawyers. I mean, if you're a wealthy lawyer, you're probably billing hundred hours a week. You know, I've Mm. met people whose parents had to go and work in manual labor. My mom had to clean houses for a living. So when suddenly I've started making money just from talking to people, it just felt so wrong in my body Mm. because I felt bad and guilty. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I really want to talk to this guilt and, and to this ease in a second. But one one of the blocks that I had was you gotta work hard. You gotta work really hard. That was one that I had. And so it's really interesting just over the years watching my evolution and process and then also watching that pop up and becoming aware of it. Yeah. So 
what can we do? Like for everyone listening who's like, oh, okay, I'm aware that I have some money blocks that are stopping me from stepping into that ease, which is our truth. What can we do? Like how can we release these blocks so that we can really step into that ease? Well, I think the very most important thing is awareness. Yeah. You know, that that takes care of so much because then you're like, oh, okay, that's why I'm doing X, Y, Z. And if you can link that belief to then the behavior, then you can you can do something to stop it, which I'll talk about in a second. But I just want to, sh- to give you some practical examples about how this might be showing up for people. One big one is a reluctance to delegate. Mm. Oh, I, I had that for years. Like, I mean, I've been doing my business now for since 2011 and I had so much reluctance at the start, so much, like couldn't let go of control. I'm the only one yeah. that can do my emails. I'm the only one that can do admin. Like, I'm the, like, no, really, <laughs> Melissa, really? But it wasn't until I delegated that my business went to the next level. It, exactly. But we resist it because of this work hard thing. Another thing that might have come up for for you, I definitely came up for me, was reinventing the wheel all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like it's like, oh, I'm launching a program. Oh, I can't use that sales page again. I'm going to have to start from scratch to really earn it. Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or doing something sabotaging. And I don't think I don't do any of these. I still do these today, right? So one way that I often sabotage myself and I have to watch out for is about a month before a launch when we're starting to, you know, get everything all in place. And I start to feel like, oh, this is too easy. You know, this is too easy. It's too smooth now. We've been doing this for so long. And I often then come up with an idea that could totally create more work for us. For example, every month before a launch, like clockwork, I think now's the time for us to leave infusions off. <laughs> oh dear gosh. You ever done that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've tried all of them and it's so full on, but yeah, just do it just before a launch. Great idea. Yeah. Or like, oh, it's time to like, just do something that will kind of break your business a little bit so you can justify the money. I've done things like stay awake all night, working on a sales page because I was procrastinating. And all of these behaviors, these very practical behaviors are symptoms of this work hard belief that we have. So once you look at your sabotaging pattern and for me, it's always the, you know, let's break some shit before, you know, before launch. So one thing you can do is just have a pattern interrupter, you know, and I love pattern interrupters like mantras, affirmations, visual representations, like literally write that affirmation down. Some people have jewelry that has a symbol on it. Some people use dream boards or pop-ups on their phone or things like that, just to remind yourself to not go into that sabotaging behavior. And it could be a, a really great example of a pattern interrupter affirmation is just saying, it's safe for me to make money. It's safe for me to make money with ease. It's safe for me to make a lot of money with ease. It could be something like that because then you can recognize it. And trust me, you you will still sabotage yourself. You know, it will take a few back and forth. I do it less now, but I always have to watch out for it because as you make more and more money, you think it will be different money blocks, but it's the same money blocks. Because I was like, oh, well, it was okay for me to make a thousand a week. And then it was like, well, it's not okay for me to make 10,000 a week. And then it's not okay for me to make, 
you know, a hundred thousand in a week. Oh, it's not okay for me to make a hundred thousand in a day, which I've done several times. And so the numbers will be different, but the money block will be the same. Mm. This is not okay. It's almost like, yeah, it's all relative to where you're at in your journey. It's like that glass ceiling. So yeah, yeah, it's the same block, but you just hit it and it's, and it's in a bigger capacity. Exactly. And so that's why I always say, you know, money, money mindset is just an ongoing process. You can still make money with money blocks because, hey, I've never found a place where they're completely absent, but it's just being aware of what those things are that will trip you up. And it all comes down to this work. I have to work really hard. The one that though I find that is similar, but different for a lot of women is this idea that you can help people or make money, but you can't do both. And it's, it's related to the work hard thing because it's, it's a, it's a deeper layer of it. It's just one other layer. Cause it's like, oh, I've realized that I'm allowed to make money. Okay. I've gotten that. But then it's like, oh, but I'm not allowed to make money helping people. That's not cool. It's not selfless. It's not nice. It's whatever. So it's just, it's the same block, but it's just a different nuance to it. And I would say that it's pretty universal across a lot of, you know, women that I work with. But everyone's, again, is slightly different nuanced. If you grew up with a mother who was very motherly or, you know, very, you know, nurturing, it might come out in a a guilt around that, that, oh, I have to help people for free and never expect anything in return. Or you might have had parents who were very um, philanthropic. And so you have a sense that, okay, I have to give and give and give and give because there are people in the world who are suffering and you feel guilty around that. So everyone's is, is very different and nuanced. But again, it's just the same thing. You, you look at the belief, see if it come, came from a particular place and then remind yourself that it's safe to make money helping people so you can help more people and make more money and have this beautiful, beautiful cycle. Yeah, I love that. Awareness is key for any transformation, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's to do with your health or your relationships, having that awareness can really help take you to the next place. I, I love that so much. And I love the mantras, the pattern breaks, as I think it's Tony Robbins calls them pattern breaks. And mm-hmm. that's seriously, that's that's how I move through whenever a block comes up for me. But I wanted to ask you, how are these money blocks stopping us from having the wealth that we truly desire? Like, and, and what is the cost? What is the cost of not releasing these blocks in this lifetime? Well, I actually think there's a bigger reason why we have to deal with this at the moment. I've been reading a lot about climate change and things like that. And a lot of people who write about these things often say that one of the biggest differences we can make is empowering women women and children and which sounds like how does that impact the world and the planet is because when women have more money they increase the gdp of their country they increase education levels across the population they spend their money in ways that enrich their communities all of those things so i I see now is the time for women to harness wealth because wealth is often power on the planet so there's a big big cost you know, like to the planet for us doing this. But then if you think of it on a micro level, so many women I know have just beautiful creative dreams that they want to fulfill or they want to help a lot more people. They want to give money. They want to create abundance for themselves, but also their community and their families and and beyond. So you've got to look at the, the two costs, right? There's the cost to the planet and there's the cost to you and your life. So many of us have had mothers and parents 
who haven't got to do the things they wanted to do in their lives because of lack of opportunity and lack of money and lack of power. And I would say now, if you look at the barriers that women in, you know, first world developed countries, there's not very many barriers to entry to start a business. The biggest barrier to entry that we have is often our own mindset because you can start a business with nothing. I mean, you know, I started my business at the same time as you and you probably remember back then too, it wasn't as easy to take payments, for example. Oh yeah. You know, it wasn't as as easy to start to do a website. You know, you kind of had to still kind of hand code your website. So the barriers to entry for everything, you know, writing a book, there's self-publishing resources now that you can do it for free. There's not really many barriers to entry, right? So when when we just to link it back to the working hard conversation, some things that I see then women do is that they resist making offers to people on a very practical sense. Like they resist asking for money and they resist chasing up money and they resist receiving money. They resist charging the appropriate price in the first place. They undercharge, they overdeliver. And sometimes too, I see that people are just not really living their true calling or their true zone of genius because they're scared and they're, they're fearful around it. So there's so many of us, myself included, I'm going to put myself in this bucket. I could make so much more money than I do now. And I make really great money, but there's still sabotaging behaviors that I have in my life. And I see it from newbie entrepreneurs to every level of entrepreneur. We're not making enough offers. We're not sharing enough. We're scared of being visible. We are, you know, as clear as we could be with our money boundaries, all of those things. So the cost is huge. You know, (laughs) I kind of went big and then small and then big and then small again, but I think the cost is huge and I don't want anyone listening to think that they have to be perfect to make money, but you do have to do something. You don't have to ask for it usually. Mm, Exactly. And money is just energy, you know, it's just energy. And I've seen it a lot as well, you know, people really struggling to ask for their services and it's just energy. And when you take the word, maybe replace the word money with the word energy, it might disarm it for a few people and really help them get clear on what it is that they want and what it is that they want to create in this world and just go after it. Just go after yeah. it without that fear. Well, I mean, there will be fears that pop up and just be able to, you know, I want people to be able to become aware of that fear and then move through it as quickly as possible, not hang out and sit in that fear. Well, yeah, I look, business is scary. Mm. It is scary. Um, it's scary to put yourself out there. It's scary to be visible. It's scary to write a book, don't you think? It feels so vulnerable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The vulnerability hangovers is like it's real. Like it is oh, real. It's really real. I just finished my book tour. I did 13 cities. And after each one, I had that vulnerability hangover because I was very honest and open. And each time I thought, oh my God, did I share too much? Did I say the wrong thing? And I was sick most of the book tour because I was doing two, three at a time and it was vulnerable. You know, it was very, it took a lot of energy, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it to do those things because it's soul satisfying. Wouldn't you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. But I think that vulnerability as well, it's, that connects us and, it also makes me feel alive. Like when I've written a book or I've done a post or I've walked off stage and I have that little bit of vulnerability, that vulnerability hangover, I'm like, whew, okay, I'm alive, I'm here. And 
the work that we're doing is is so important. But one thing that you talk a lot about is cultivating the mindset. And I'm huge on mindset, huge on mastering your mean girl. You talk a lot about cultivating the mindset of a six or even a seven-figure business. How do we do that? <laughs> so my friend James Wedmore, he's um, he's great, but I think it was my first year of business and he said to me, Denise, you can't get to six figures by yourself. And I remember thinking, watch me, <laughs> which was so dumb. <laughs> what? Why would I need to do that just to prove I could? Um, I actually got to seven figures, that million dollar mark with just me and one assistant. And now I see myself where I've realized that I have sabotaged, you know, even going more. So my business, I'm very happy to share, makes about $3 million. And I was thinking the other day, how could I make $10 million? And I realized it's that same mindset again that I have to deal with going way back to that six figure mark where I thought I have to do it all myself. And even though I do have a team, I have quite a small team. And this is a very specific example, but someone was saying to me, oh, Denise, it's it's really time for you to get a community, a full-time community manager for your community. And my resistance, you're going to laugh about this. I was like, what if my community like her better than they like me? Isn't that funny? Oh, baby girl. I know, but that was so weird because I was thinking, I want to make $10 million. And I want to do it working less than ever and just being in my zone of genius. And that was the thing that was holding me back was thinking, but what if they like her better than they like me? There's The mindset stuff is just so funny because it's just going to follow you <laughs> throughout your whole journey of being your business. So for me, I'm always just looking like, what am I resisting and why? And people might think that's really funny to think that I was worried about you know, not being liked, but I want also to drive home the point that your money mindset and your mindset in general, it doesn't necessarily get more and more sophisticated as you make more money. It's actually very simple in the basics. You have to deal with the basics over and over and over and over again. The fear, the imposter syndrome, the, I don't deserve this. This is too much. You know, I, it can't be this easy. That stuff is the same, whether you're making your first a hundred dollars, $100 and your first thousand dollars and then your first a hundred thousand and your first million and for me I have to deal with that to go and make ten million dollars in a year and that might surprise people because they think oh no your problems must get more sophisticated they really don't I don't think yeah the fears will still follow you I think there's a book called wherever you go there you are and I also relate to that wherever you go your blocks and your fears they're still going to go with you like even if you go to the Himalayas and you you decide to be a monk, those things will still follow you until you become aware of them, until you release them, until you put those pattern breaks in place in order to transform them and move through them. Yes. And you do get the muscle memory stuff like when you go to the gym. So I don't feel like I'm starting from scratch every year. Yeah, you know, exactly. Going, oh, now I have to start from scratch. Because those, those things do layer in. It's just that it's the same it's the same blocks, but from a different lens or through a different lens or through different nuances. And the thing I always like to say about fear is, you know, what scares you today won't scare you tomorrow, but there's something new <laughs> you might be scared of. So the fear itself never goes away, but your the lens of it's different. And it's the same with any of the other blocks. The lens is slightly different. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm a huge believer in multiple revenue streams. I would mm-hmm. love to know, like, do you have multiple? How do you call in your abundance? That's a great question. So 
I guess I get most of mine come from my business in a way. So I have royalties from books. I have a passive income product that's an audio course. I have my money boot camp, which is both evergreen and live a couple of times a year. Outside of my business, I have rental income. And I would say that I would love to get better at investing in the future. That's a skill that I would love to do because I do see the importance of having different streams maybe outside of your business or different streams within your business that, you know, for different times of your life. For example, a lot of people listening might be thinking about having babies in the future and you might not be able to work in your business how you worked in your business before. So it's good to have different things, I think, in your business and life that require different energies from you so you're not reliant on working one particular way. Mm, Absolutely. Now, you spoke about this before, about the ease. You know, I definitely had this. When I've written, you know, I've written two books and I remember writing Mastering Your Mean Girl and thinking, should it be a lot harder than this? Like, I was almost shocked because you hear people go, oh, you got writer's block. And you hear people just like talk about how tumultuous the journey of writing a book is. And I don't know if that was like, if that was like that for you, but for me, Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, they were, they flew out of me. And yeah, they really flew out of me very quickly. And I remember thinking, oh, should it be this easy? Oh no. And then like the the sabotaging thoughts did pop up. But, you know, one thing you really focus on is, yeah, this ease. And and I love that you talk about this in The Chillpreneur, which is your latest book, which I loved, by the way. I uh, absolutely loved it. I listened to it on audio and I love that you read it. And some of the stories in there are freaking hilarious, especially your early entrepreneur stories. And yeah. the... <laughs> The traveling that you did, you did the dating. Oh, what was it? The wedding thing. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Mark and I won a travel competition to travel around the world blogging for six months. And as part of that, we renewed our vows to try and break a Guinness world record for most married couple. And that's actually what I'm writing my next book about too. Oh, awesome. Well, I love this whole concept of the chillpreneur and Mm -hmm. really stepping into that ease and that grace more. So can you tell us what is a chillpreneur and how do we become one? Yes. So chillpreneur is definitely not about perfection. Sometimes when people think of that kind of entrepreneur, we think of someone like working in a hammock, you know, and working just from Bali. And the truth is you can be a chillpreneur anywhere around the world. You can be a chillpreneur and not work on the beach, which I actually don't do myself. I work in an office. But it's a mindset of finding the path of least resistance. And you can do that in lots of different ways. I think one of the most important things in finding your path of least resistance is being really true to what you actually want to do in the first place, how you want to serve people, who you want to serve, what kind of services or products you want to offer. And often people sort of ask me things like, well, you know, how do I get out of my comfort zone? Or, And I'm like, just do the easiest thing. Like who said you always have to live in, in fear? Why don't you just do the easiest thing? Or people say, how do I prioritize? And I go, write a list of everything you want to do and then do the easiest one. And this goes against the whole money block we've talked about, about doing things in an easy way, not having to work hard, finding a business that works for your personality 
and that feels easeful for you. Ease is different for everyone. What what feels easy for me might feel completely different for you, Melissa. Mm. You know, how we like to work might be different. You might have a different capacity for work than me. And I used to beat myself up about, about this. When I um, used to see clients, one-to-one clients, I maxed out at like 10 to 15 a week. 15 for me was way too many. 10 was probably, I would say five if I really had to, if I was really honest with myself. And I remember being at a networking event and it was someone who did consultations, do slightly different area, but she saw a hundred clients a week. Wow. Can you imagine? I was like, oh my God. So our ease has to be personal to us. And the way we find that is through self-awareness. What feels good? What doesn't feel good? personality tests. Who am I? What's my, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? I actually don't spend much time on my weaknesses these days. I used to read books about how to overcome my weaknesses. Now I just go, Hey, this is what I'm good at. So why don't I just build a business based on that? And so that's what Chilpreneur, the book is about too. It's looking at your marketing, your business model, your mission, your money mindset, finding the ease, finding the obvious answer even though you're going to resist it because it feels too easy and then you're going to feel like you didn't earn the money. So yeah, that's what it's about. And I think it's really important, like you said, to tune in because what feels easy for me is going to be so, might be completely different for you. And this is where we've got to let go of comparison. We've got to stay in our own lane. And, you know, whether it's with your business, with your health, with your relationships, every area of your life, like how can we cultivate more chillpreneurness into <laughs> everything that we do and how can we call in more ease with everything we do and and this is something that I've definitely been mindful of over the past years like what am I what do I enjoy what brings me what brings me joy what can I do with ease and then delegating like we spoke about before delegating the rest yeah. I think it's really important and I feel like there's a massive conscious shift at the moment, especially in our space, where we have been hustling, push, 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 go, 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 do, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. And that's kind of burnt a lot of people out. And everyone's kind of doing a little bit of like a screeching of the brakes going, hang on a minute here. Like, is this actually how I want to live my life? Is this how I want to make my money? Or can I inject more ease into it so that it's more joyful and more enjoyable for me and for everyone else around me? So that's definitely been the case for me over the past couple of years. Well, have you noticed though, Melissa, I'd be curious about this, for some people, it is an awareness, but I think for a lot of people, it's a wake-up call from the universe. Mm. You've seen people, they, they burn out, they get yep. sick, something happens, and the universe kind of almost forces them to take stock. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of people like have adrenal fatigue. They've just yeah. literally completely burnt themselves out and had to stop altogether. And this is the thing, like I don't want anyone to get to the point where they have to completely stop what they love doing because, you know, obviously they love it and they want to be of service. So how can we interject more ease? How can we put on that chillpreneur hat and step into more of that with what we do in all of the areas of our life? And I highly recommend everyone getting your book. It's it's so good. And and even getting it on audio, which is awesome because you get to hear you read it, which I love. Well, you mentioned something, right, about comparisonitis. 
that's the big one. Mm. That's a huge one because we go, oh, I want a business like hers. So it could, you might be comparing yourself to people you know or people that you just see online and think, well, I want to do it like her. But you might have a completely different money personality. You might have different strengths. You might have a different lifestyle. Some people have got kids, some people don't. And also there could be some invisible stuff behind the scenes that you don't even understand. You might be comparing yourself to someone who has a full-time housekeeper like I do. (laughs) I'm not doing all the things. You know, I'm not doing all the things at home. I have very limited energy. And so a lot of people were asking me, oh my God, you've got three kids, Denise, how are you doing this? And I'm like, honey, I have a housekeeper. I have a nanny. I have a husband who works from home as well. You might be comparing yourself to someone who, you know, has family members supporting them financially. So there's the comparisonitis, which is is huge. The other side of that though, and this is really important, is you have to really choose your mentors and your coaches very carefully because not, not every coach understands I guess, different personality types. And sometimes coaches just like share one model and say, you have to do it like this. And an example of that is my first year, that 2011, when, did you join B-School that year? Is that Yeah, that was my B-School year too. Same, yeah. So I remember just before that B-School happened, which is Marie Folio's B-School, and I hired a coach and she said to me, you need to go to every single networking event within a three-hour radius of your house. Whoa. And she's like breakfast, lunch meetings, evening events, like everything. And I was thinking, I'm an introvert. That sounds horrific. Mm. And I said to her, I don't want to do that. And she said, well, how are you going to find clients, Denise? And I was like, online? And she was like, oh no, that doesn't work. The reason why I share that too is because it's so important to have a coach who's lifestyle or business model works for you or the way that they teach works for you because I'm a good I'm a good girl I'm a student right I'm a good student so I used to have a coach and I wanted to please them and I didn't feel like I had my discernment muscles really worked out and so I would just say oh okay I'll do it the way you tell me to do it because I didn't know any different and I didn't really I didn't really do the work on myself to understand that there were lots of different ways to run your business and I could do it in the way that worked for me. Again, why do we resist that? Because it feels too easy and too obvious. Mm. <laughs> so you got to be careful who you're comparing yourself against, but you also have to be careful who you're learning from. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that doesn't just apply to business too. That's like health coaching, you know, life coaching, relationship coaching, whatever. Like, be really discerning with who you let into your field. You know, I don't, I don't ask for advice from all of my friends. And, and that's not because I don't value their opinion. It's just like, I know myself so well. And that has been cultivated through, you know, different modalities like meditation and really looking at my behaviors and my patterns and all of the personal development work that I've done over the years. But I know myself so well now. And so going and getting all of these different uh, advice and opinions and mentors and coaches, we really do have to be discerning and kind of go, well, hang on a minute. At the end of the day, I'm the one that has to have the last say. It has to feel true to me because they're going to be coaching you or mentoring you through their set of glasses and theirs are going to be different to yours. So I I am all for coaches and mentors in every area of your life. I'm all for it. But really just 
tune in. And this is where your intuition, like use your gut and tune in and make sure that whoever it is, like that it feels good, it's aligned and you're not just doing like what you were doing and just pleasing and being that good girl. Oh, absolutely. But you know, I still did this about two years ago. I had too many coaches. Yeah. <laughs> I had way too many. But you know what? They weren't business coaches. They were intuitive coaches. Uh-huh. I, I love me some woo-woo people, right? So I had like a coach was helping me with talking to my guides and someone who did intuitive business coaching. And the reason why I was hiring so many of them is because I actually was not giving myself time and space to develop my own intuition. Mm. So I was trying to outsource it. And I got to a point where I was speaking to someone every week and I was just not trusting any of my own wisdom. So now whenever I find myself again, at the start of the year, it happens like clockwork. I'm like, who am I? What am I supposed to be doing here? I think every year. And so then I hire a bunch of people because I want them to tell me. (laughs) I'm like, you tell me who I am and you tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I found now one of the best gifts I can give myself is to go on a retreat or go away with some girlfriends, some entrepreneurial girlfriends, and have the space, Mm. not someone telling me what to do. And I actually just got back from a week overseas where I had so much space and spaciousness. And that's where I had that aha around, I want people to like me. Mm. And I, I want to be liked more than go to this next level of success. That didn't come from a a course or a coach that came from space, spaciousness. Oh yeah. I am huge on that as well. Creating as much white space in your life, in your mind, in your days as possible to allow that intuition to come through. Really important points. No one knows you better than you. No one No one's in your skin. So you really do have to stay true to yourself and tune in, listen, because it's always, the guidance is always there. We just create so much noise in our mind internally and externally that it blocks us from hearing. But if we just get quiet and still, then that intuition will speak up. Yes. I need to do more of that. I I, I see that's uh, something I resist a lot because I do fill my life with noise a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you're aware of it. Yeah. I am. Yeah. You know, and I, I've read a lot recently about how very successful people are, you know, are going to that next level. And it is that it is more spaciousness. It's more meditation. I just read Arianna Huffington's book during my, my trip and it was called Thrive, something like the third metric for success. She talks about sleep and meditation, Mm. you know, like there's no silver advanced bullets. It's, it's like, go back to basics. She's like, go for a walk, put your phone down. And I'm like, oh, do I have to do that? Yes. Yes, you do. Oh yeah. It's so important. You know what I did too, actually post this trip? Cause you know, and we can talk about the trip. I went to Necker Island, which is Richard Branson's private Island with a bunch of girls, like girls, girlfriends and people I hadn't met who were in business. There was, uh, I think 27 of us women and a couple of husbands. And afterwards, I knew that I needed some integration time. And so I booked two nights in a hotel by myself, still in like the Caribbean, amazing, beautiful paradise. I got to the room after the trip. I closed all the windows. I could, like, I was right on the ocean. I could see it's beautiful. I closed all of the blinds and all the windows. And I just sat there and watched TV for like 12 hours straight <sighs> to give, just to give myself the gift of integration, not having to jump straight on a plane. And I was, I think there was only two of us out of the like 30 odd who did that. Everyone else had travel delays. 
Oh, wow. And for all different reasons, it, there was weather-related, overbooking-related, medical emergencies on their plane-related. Um, and it's because they needed to take the space. They were like, oh, I wish I had the space. And then the universe was like, okay, we'll delay you for 12 hours in the airport. We'll give you the space. <laughs> yes. And I, ne- I usually do that. I'm the one who goes, oh, okay, it finishes at 12. Okay, I'll be on a, on a plane by three. And this time I didn't. And I felt really guilty about it at first. And then I realized now I came, I actually got home yesterday. I was like, oh, I can be so much more present with my family because I completed that. I literally just, you know, closed the windows, watched TV, got some like chicken wings from room service. And I sat and I cried. I cried to release it and give myself that space to integrate that big lesson that I'd learned. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. Well done for creating that space. Now, I believe everyone has a different definition of success. So I would love to know what is your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? So, hmm, success. So I want to be the best person I can be, not in a type A way, like I'm definitely not type A. I want to make sure I'm making an impact on this world. Philanthropy is very important to me, but I also my definition of success is doing it on my terms, my way, in a way that nourishes myself, my family and the planet as much as possible. And I guess it's, you know, also having the means, the financial means is a, it is a marker of success to me, having the financial means to be, do and have everything on my dream board. Mm, Beautiful. Do you believe it's the mindset shifts that have allowed you to get there? Yes, because I'm probably less hardworking than I was in my 20s. So if it was about hard work, I would have been a millionaire probably by like 18 because <laughs> I was a hard worker, you know, even from a, as soon as I could get a job. Actually, I started working at 12 for my dance teacher so I could, you know, make money from her to put towards my dance lessons. At university, I had three, sometimes four jobs. So it wasn't, it's, and it's not hard work. You know, hard work is not the thing that makes the difference. I think for me, it's been, I've always had my eye on the prize. I've always had a dream to have financial success. So that's that, you know, I always had one eye on the future of this life of abundance that I wanted. And then I think on the practical day-to-day level, I've, I've been quite consistent. You know, I show up and I do the work. Um, I don't do it perfectly. I'm definitely not the hardest worker, but I show up consistently and do the work that needs to happen. I do the marketing. I tell people about my programs. You know, I'm like, you can buy it. I literally have sales links for people to buy. So they have a way to give me money. And you can hear that there's a few gaps in there for people. You know, some people don't have the dream. So it's not enough to pull them through sometimes the scary things that happen in business. You know, it's, there's not enough to pull them forward. They're living in the, the scared part. Mm. Then there's some people that don't take the action. They're living in the dream part of it and not the practical part of it. And for some people, it's the, they don't have the consistency. For some people, they've got all of those things, but they literally don't have a sales link. They don't have a way for people to give them money. So just have a think for everyone listening. What do you, what do you think is your weak point? Because you kind of have to have a bit of everything. None of those don't have to be perfect. Mm. You know, I don't have perfect funnels. I don't have perfect, you know, sales pages. None of those are perfect. But I've kind of, as I say, it's like half ass, but half ass consistently. Mm. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I really encourage people to 
to just delete the word perfect. You know, I feel like Mm. when we're striving for the perfect business, the perfect health, the perfect relationship, you're just setting yourself up to compare yourself to other people. And what we want to do is encourage people to let go of that comparisonitis and, and, you know, just do the best you can do, you know, always show up and do your best and let go of this idea of it looking a certain way. That's, that's what I've learned over the years. Oh, absolutely. You know, and there's that feeling too of, will this help someone now? Mm. And most of the time, yes, it's going to help someone now. Will it ever be perfect? No, I don't know. Have you ever created something and you just think that is perfection? <laughs> you know, I've created some stuff on my, that's pretty good, but it's still not perfect. Can it go to market and help someone? Yes, absolutely. You know, and you know this from books, doesn't matter how many times it's gone through copy editors and editors and proofreaders, pretty much every book has got at least one error in it. Yeah. Yeah. Every I mean, book. I see them all the time and it's just like, oh yeah, but I mean, who cares? Am I am I going to close the book and go? Oh, can't read it anymore. Some people do. Some oh, people really? Do, and that's okay. Yes, some people can't get past it, and that's fine. But it can still help a lot of people, bring enjoyment to a lot of people, and yeah. you bring it. You bring something to market. People will tell you there's errors in it. So let other people help you to make things better too. Yeah, that's true. And at least you're sh- you've showed up. You know, you've showed up. You've done your best. As long as you do your best, and as long as you show up, then you know take the feedback, fix the grammatical error, and then let it go, move on. Exactly. I actually had a lot of people um, say to me too of like, oh, I can't believe how many spelling errors you have in your book. And I was like, oh, it's in UK English, not US English. So sometimes errors are also, you know, in the eye of the beholder. (laughs) I had one person saying, "I, I can't read your book. And I was like, oh, you know, we spell things differently in Australia. Yeah, and yeah. She's like, oh, oh I didn't know that. And I went, okay, cool. Yeah, okay. yeah, we do, we do. Speaking of books, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your books, let's pretend that they're already in the curriculum. What is one other book that you would choose? Oh, yeah, okay, Heal Your Life. Louise, hey? Louise Hay. Oh, that was yeah. a game changer for me. Oh, me too. Me too. Just that, that, just that thought of like, oh, you can just love and accept yourself was, it healed everything for me. Oh, yeah. That was the first book I read in 2010 that got me on my path. When I was in hospital oh, and I hit rock yep. bottom, someone gave me that book and that book was the book that changed my whole life. Yes. It's a, it is a game changer. So now what I try and do with my kids, I, I teach them EFT, tapping, because of the love and accept myself. And mm. we actually don't do much of the first part of it, you know, like the setup. We do the second part of it, which is I deeply and completely love and accept myself because I feel like with that, you know, you could do anything. You could do anything in your life because I didn't love and accept myself growing up. I didn't love and accept myself in my 20s. and I think I got, I think I read that book when I was maybe 28. Yeah. Oh my God. I just realized something. So uh, when I was living in London, I was probably 22 when I moved there. And I wouldn't say that I'm someone who's ever really listening for my intuition in a really strong sense. But I remember walking the streets of London and being so frustrated and going, what am I supposed to do with my life? When is it going to happen for me? When is it happening for me? And I had this very strong voice in my head that was like, oh, when are you 28? And I just realized that was when I read. 
that's when I read um, You Can Heal Your Life. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Our intuition is, it knows, it knows. Well, sometimes it has to just cut through the noise, right? And it was like this, like a grandpa voice kind of just like, oh, my God, will you stop? <laughs> when you're 28, don't ask me again. Okay, I'm going on to something else now. And it was like, oh, I just, I was walking the streets of London and I was like, what? And then I walked into a bookshop and the first book I saw was a book called What Should I Do With My Life? Oh, wow. By Poe Bronson. And I read that book and then I found Louise Hay's book and it was just like, oh, I can just love it, accept myself. And then, and then I would say everything started falling into place after that because it's just that one skill. If I had one skill left to teach everybody, and you know what, don't tell anyone, but that's what my courses are about. It looks like they're about money and we talk a lot about money, but they're really about loving and accepting yourself because then you can figure out everything else. Like mm. there's nothing you can't learn either from a book or YouTube or Google. You can logistically create a business. You can logistically write a book. You can do any of those things. But without the love and acceptance in your gut, you're going to sabotage it. Mm, amen, sister. Amen. And it ripples out into every area of your life. Like if you don't love and accept yourself, that'll affect not only your business, but your health choices, your relationship choices, where you live, you know, how much you earn. It affects everything, absolutely everything. Well, actually, one of the exercises we do in my money boot camp, it's again, logistically, it seems like an easy exercise. There's a whole bunch of things that you have to tick off and they're things in your life. And I say to people, just mark it. Is it economy, premium economy, business or first class? And that sounds very straightforward on the top of it, but it's actually about how you're treating yourself. What are you allowing yourself to have? Because everyone's version of first class is different. It's not about bigger and better or more, more expensive. Sometimes it's, you know, like food choices might be organic or something like that. It's not, you know, a, a tomato made of gold <laughs> kind of thing. And that is, it is a reflection of what you're allowing yourself to receive. And when I first started doing this work, everything in my life was economy. I felt like I had to put up with things that were uh, secondhand, that were broken, that didn't work, that didn't serve me, that made me feel uncomfortable or cold. I spent 10 years in the UK. I never bought myself a proper winter coat. I never bought myself proper winter shoes. And that is totally a reflection of how I felt about myself at that time. And it wasn't until, you know, probably a couple of years ago, because now I live in Australia, but I bought like a Patagonia coat or something. I bought an, ele an electric blanket and I thought this would have changed my life living in the UK. It wasn't even that expensive. Instead, I would layer on like 50 layers of clothes and be freaking freezing the whole time. So it's an interesting thing, even if people, you know, just look around your life and think, what am I putting up with? It's just a reflection of, of how you feel about yourself. Absolutely. I was the same when I lived in London. Absolutely the same. And you froze. I froze. I froze. And I love that you say, how can you shift from an economy mindset to a first class mindset? And I think that is just because everybody can relate to that. They go, oh, I know. And like you said, it's different for every single person. And it's not about comparing yourself to anybody else. But, you know, the older I get, the more I have to upgrade my beliefs and upgrade my mindset because I'm hitting that glass ceiling, you know, I'm, I'm keeping mm -hmm. on 
going and I'm like, oh, okay, I have to step up here again and I have to step up here again. So I love that. Maybe everyone listening could do a little check-in and look at where they've, where they're, where they have an economy mindset, whether it's to do with their work or their money or their career or relationships or health, and then how can they take it to this first-class mindset in that area? And what does that look like and what does that mean for them? I think that's a really good little check-in exercise that everybody can do. Well, sometimes it's self-imposed too. Sometimes it's just like, okay, Denise, I'm living in this place because I literally don't have any more money. Okay, totally fine. Some of that is imposed on you for where you're at right now. But I would say still look around and look at the abundance that you're ignoring in your own life. How many times have you, you know, you use the old shitty mug instead of the beautiful mug? You don't wear your perfume. You save for best. You are you know, wearing the the undies with holes in them (laughs) when you have nice undies. So sometimes it's just you are creating this economy class life. And I think sometimes the mindset can come from those practical things on a day-to-day level. It's, you know, what are you allowing yourself to receive in a practical day-to-day sense? And then, you know, how does that impact your mindset? And when, when I didn't have any money, I remember I wouldn't even allow myself to walk in a shop that had nice clothes. And I was walking with Mark one time in London and I stood and I just looked at this nice shop that I, you know, I couldn't even imagine myself going into. And he put his hands over my eyes and he said, don't even look. And he dragged me away. And I just thought that is such a reflection of how I see myself at the moment. You're not even allowed to look. You're not even allowed to dream. This is what your life is. And I got it. I was like, dude, oh my God, you can't, you can't do this. But I knew it wasn't him. It was me, you know, cause he saw me. I only shopped in secondhand stores, not mm. for pleasure because that might be actually a first class upgrade for some people, but mm. they don't want to buy new anymore. They want to buy secondhand for pleasure and for environmental reasons and for their values. For me, it was because I'm not allowed to have what I want. I have yeah. to have what is available to me or what is given to me. Wow. This is huge huge. Okay. So I would love to switch gears now. I would love to hear about your morning routine. Do you have a morning routine? I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day. Talk us through your morning routine. How does it unfold? Oh my God. Melissa, I have three kids, (laughs) three little kids. So the truth is I don't have a beautiful morning routine. Our kids wake up super early. They're usually awake by about quarter past five. And it depends. Sometimes they're in a good mood and sometimes they wake up in the crankiest mood. So when it's a good morning, we all like snuggle in bed and, you know, and then it's like everyone has to go do a pee and like then we go downstairs and we're all snuggly. When it's like a bad morning, like everyone wakes up cranky, no one wants to pee, like it's there's like tantrums. And then um, our housekeeper comes about seven o'clock. She makes us breakfast and we have breakfast as a family. One ritual that we have for every meal is we say grace at every meal. We hold hands and we say for our family, friends and food, we say thank you. And it's just infusing that little gratitude into our life. And then it depends on where everyone's going. At the moment, it's like chaos because you know, Willow goes to school one direction. George goes to daycare the other direction. We have our nanny come to look after Piper. And then my workday starts about 8.30, 9 o'clock. I then usually have either interviews like today. This is kind of where I, where I like to spend my time doing interviews or teaching 
in my groups, in my communities. I also try and infuse friendship or self-care into my week. I would say that I'm not always great at it. I get my hair done every Monday. That's a really perfect you know, way to kind of decompress for the week, get nice hair for my interviews. <laughs> and I like to see one of my entrepreneurial girlfriends. We do coffee or we do we get a pedicure and talk business. And then usually in the afternoons, we pick everyone up about three, four o'clock, and then it's a little bit chaotic for the next couple of hours. And then I go to bed at 9.30, so I'm like a bit of a nana. Where I would love to upgrade that routine, I would love to infuse more yoga into it. And I actually have been asking for guidance recently because I've still got my baby weight. And I keep on saying, how do, you know, how do I feel better? And I just keep on getting this guidance of like there's – there's nothing that green juice and yoga is not going to fix. Yes. <laughs> so I'd like to infuse more of, a, a, more of that. And I'm sure a lot of mums who are listening can relate to that, that it's sometimes, it's not that I don't have the time and space to do it. I'm just don't think I'm prioritising that part of my life at the moment. Yeah. The way I had to do it last couple of times is I need to hire someone to come to the house to do yoga with me. That's what I did for all of my pregnancies. I had my friend Amy Landry. She came like two, three times a week because otherwise I'd go, oh, there's that yoga class in 15 minutes. Oh, you know, I can't be bothered or something comes up and she knocks on the door. I'm not going to ignore her. Yeah, (laughs) go away. Pretend you're not home. Exactly. And I can put that with my housekeeper too. I can say to her, you know, I either have porridge or green juice in the morning. She makes that. And I just realized I was like, oh, I can get her to put probiotics in there so I don't have to remember to take them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And often it's like once you start the habit, it's really easy to ride that wave, but it's the initial like scheduling it in that feels like the biggest hurdle. Totally. <laughs> totally. In the future though, when our kids are older, I would love, we're, we're building a house on the beach. And so I think going to the beach for walks in the morning and doing yoga near the beach is going to be a really great part of my routine. It just feels a little chaotic at the moment and that's cool. And your kids are all, what ages? They're, they're tiny. Yes. Yeah, so five, three, and one. Yes. Wow, honey. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I do have a lot of help as I talk about very honestly and openly, but it just, it takes a lot of energy with, with three kids and it's, it can be a little chaotic. And, you know, last night Piper, our youngest, she was up at three for about half an hour and then she's up at 5.15, you know, and it's, it's just, it's a stage of life. And that's why I think with your business too, it's, you know, we talked about having a mentor who understands you and your personality, but also that shifts and changes over time. You know, sometimes things happen, you know, you have an illness or someone in your family has an illness or you have kids or you want to go traveling and you have to be able to flex and change for what's true to you now, Mm -hmm. not a version of yourself before. Yeah. One of my mentors says flexibility is the key to longevity. So just being flexible Mm. physically and in your mind. Literally and metaphorically. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, actually, it's interesting you say that because recently I realized how inflexible my body has been and it's because I've fallen into a a trap which I often do of working working harder than I should and that I need to and my body doesn't feel as flexible Mm. as it should so I think that's beautiful yeah now I've got three little rapid fire questions for you are you ready 
Yeah. Okay. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? Breathe. <laughs> breathe more. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Breathe, breathe. So important. Right now. <sighs> <sighs> I notice I'm a shallow breather often and I don't take the space. I don't even sometimes take a breath to think. I can sometimes jump into decisions too quickly. And there's just a, you know, just breathe and give yourself a, a beat to think about it is really important. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Now, what's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? Love and accept yourself. Yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah, you know, love and accept your talents, love and accept where you're at in your journey, love and accept what you have to offer, love and accept and accept money, you know, like allow people to pay you. Mm. That's cool too. Yeah. It's, it's the key. Honestly, read my books, do my programs, whatever. Every lesson is infused in, in that rooted, sorry, in that lesson of love and accept yourself. I just pretend it's about other things. Yeah. Well, sometimes <laughs> people have to hear it different angles, different ways, you know, it gets to people in different ways. So it does. yeah, but that's the lesson. It's, it's just so important for everything. Yeah, absolutely. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Oh, same. Love and accept yourself. And it's kind of what my next next book is about as well. It talks about how we traveled around the world and got married all, all the different places. But the biggest lesson I learned from that was self-love and acceptance too. One of the reasons why I found that trip so hard, and this is what the book really talks about, is it sounds like a really amazing thing on the surface, but it was incredibly hard for me. And it was because I couldn't I was really uncomfortable being loved by this beautiful person that I was sabotaging the trip and I was sabotaging myself because it felt really uncomfortable. I didn't know how to receive that love because I didn't feel love for myself. Mm, that's huge. And once huge. you have that awareness, you can transform it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I want my mom, I'd love for my mom to find someone, you know, she's 58 now. She's still super young, but she hasn't learned that lesson yet of love and acceptance. And so, you know, I grew up seeing her with really like, she's got a crappy picker because she, she needs to learn that lesson of love and acceptance. I don't think she'll listen to this podcast, but mm -hmm. you know, so she just attracted the same person over and over and over again. And I, I had that cautionary tale growing up. And so I actually went the other way. I closed my heart was yeah I had to I had to really come back and go oh I love and accept me and you know Mark now he's always like oh wow you really like you really accept yourself mm. I'm like I really do uh, I try I think it's always you're always a student of that but you know for him that's that's super attractive oh yeah it's so sexy someone who really stands in their truth who owns who they are who accepts accepts themselves there's nothing sexier yeah, because you don't need the other person, but you receive them and accept them. Yeah, and I still learn that lesson today. You know, I'm still like, oh, my God, how have I got this such a beautiful person who loves me so unconditionally? It's uncomfortable sometimes because I, when I feel that, I'm like, oh, I need to do some more self-love stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a journey, that's for sure. It is. <laughs> Now, is there anything else that you want to share that I haven't asked you? Any last parting words of wisdom? Yeah, I think the lesson, it's not about the money at all. 
It really isn't. But money is also okay. Like money is, it is important, but it's not the most important thing. And if you work on the other stuff and be conscious of your relationship with money, it does kind of start to fall into place a little bit more. Yeah. So just think about that when you, you know, when you read my work, whatever, it's just like, it's all about self-love and acceptance and then be friends with money. That's cool. Yes. I love, I love that. Now I'm a massive believer in service and I know you are too, but I want to know how I personally and the listeners can serve you today. What can we do to serve you? Oh, that's so beautiful because I'm a Virgo. I love being of service. It's like my, totally my thing. So when people contact me and say, this is what I did, like a practical thing, this is what I did. It like gives me goosebumps. So I love it when I'm on a podcast, when people, you know, take a screenshot of whatever artwork you've used, Melissa, for this, this thing and tag us both and tell us what you did. Mm. I'm not so into like when people go, oh, it's, it was inspiring. I'm like, yeah, that feels good. But like, the full body like orgasm for me is like when someone goes, oh, I did something practical. Yes. And you were you were useful. I'm like, oh, yes. Useful for me is way sexier than inspiring. So that's what I would love people to do. I'm across all social media channels at Denise DT. And yeah, tell us what, you, what you're going to put into practice from it or an aha that you got that you think will make a difference. Yeah, I'm a massive believer in that as well. Like, you know, because people, when I first started this podcast or any of my work, they'd share my books and they'd share my podcast and they'd be like, it's life changing. And I'm like, no, but, but like, what, what was it re- like? What really sunk for you? Like, I want to know what was the aha for you or what were the top three or two or one takeaways that really inspired you. I love reading and hearing that, which is why I encourage everybody listening to please come and share. Yeah, your your top aha or key takeaway. I want to hear what landed for you. And it's so interesting to see what lands for different people. It's really fascinating. So I want to encourage everyone to do that. Tag us. I would absolutely love that. We'll link to all of Denise's amazing books and programs in the show notes. So you guys can head on over there and see all of her amazing work that she's doing. And I just wanted to thank you so much, Denise, for not only sharing with us over this past hour and a bit, but for all the work that you do in the world. You are a very big-hearted, generous, beautiful human being, and it's been awesome to grow beside you from 2011 when there was, you know, just a few of us Aussie B-schoolers that had just started out and to watch your evolution has been so beautiful and I'm always cheering you on from the sideline oh, and I'm you. I'm so grateful that we've been able to do this side by side. Do you know what I love as well? I love seeing your book in bookshops. It, mm. You know, because I've been traveling a ton this year more than normally and I love going into bookshops and going, I know her and oh, and I know her and I know that, you know, the cohort of women that we are connected to, people listening, you know, it's amazing just to go, oh, wow, we are really doing some cool stuff in the world. And it's, I love seeing your books everywhere. Oh, thank you so much. And you too, honey. It- absolutely ditto 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 and I'm so grateful that there is someone out there like you that is just shining this light and really helping so many people so thank you so much for being here and for the work that you do in the world oh thank you and by the way guys when you see your friends books in bookshops 
pull them out to the front. That's what I always do. I'm like, let's rearrange that. Let's just have a Denise recommends Denise's friends section. <laughs> I know I do that too. And my husband does it too, but he feels really bad. And I'm like, babes, don't worry about it. Like just do it. Everybody does it. And he's like, oh, I feel really bad. I'm like, just go for it. <laughs> Love it. Thank good, you. <laughs> good tip. Good tip. <laughs> well, thank you so much, honey. Thank you. Wasn't that awesome? I loved today's episode. So many awesome reminders. I got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to come and join the Private MA Tribe Facebook group, where you can share your insights from this episode Plus, you can tell me who else you want me to get on the show. It's also a very sacred space where we can come together to discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversations. You will also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one thing that I get asked a lot is where can I find my tribe or where can I find like-minded people? This is it. So head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join now. And for everything that Denise and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 211. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before I go is that if you haven't got my book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships, and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. If you haven't left a review yet, please be an angel and do it. It means so much to me. And it just means that I can continue to get these epic humans on the show for you. And it also means that we can continue to inspire and help and support and educate even more people together, which is what it's all about. And so one more thing before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You seriously rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, you can share it on your social media, you can email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.